0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sam Talks Technology, your weekly guide about all things tech and business with Sam Sethi.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sam Talks Technology. I'm joined today by a fellow namesake, a kindred spirit, let's say. His name's Bhushan Sethi. Uh, Bhushan, hello, how are you?
0: Great to see you, Sam, my brother.
1: Now, they're going to believe like they I will think all related. They think <laughs> every Indian's related. Uh, now, Bhushan, you are a partner at PWC based in New York. Tell me a little more about what you do.
0: Thanks, Sam. I have the, the great privilege of leading a practice we call P organization, which means to work with lots of businesses around the world on all of the biggest human capital issues, whether that's helping them with skills agendas thinking through their human capital strategies, thinking about what does their workplace culture look like. For the last nine months, it's been nothing but what does it mean in terms of this remote way of working, return to the office, how do we take care of our people's well-being? So looking forward to discussing all of those aspects, including some of where I started as well.
1: Now, starting off with what you do presently, and given what's happened with COVID, Before COVID, what was your role in advising companies? Clearly, post-COVID, that's got to have changed.
0: Pre-COVID, a lot of companies were looking to accelerate their digital transformation. So looking to digitise the way that you serve your customers if you're a bank, looking to think about how you've got to play in the digital area if you're in retail. You've got to have digital tools for your employees, whatever industry you're in, because that's the way they work in their personal life. And then post-COVID as we've seen, firms that hadn't got their digital strategies in place were exposed and and playing catch-up. Some of the work we were doing has been accelerated. The whole topic of things like well-being and employee flexibility and the term hybrid workplace. Do you work in the office? Do you work in the office a couple of days a week? Are you fully remote or is it all of the above? Those are new concepts in terms of the words we're using. But the whole topic of we need to take care of our people. We need to give flexibility to how and where they work. We need to give the right tools. They're not exactly new. So I think the lens has changed, the emphasis, the focus on health and well-being, the need for certain businesses to really repair their financials and their balance sheets, especially those that are reliant on human interactions like restaurants and hospitality and air travel. They're, They're in a different state. But a number of these trends were relevant before and, and are still relevant. They've just been accelerated.
1: Scott Galloway described it as a 10-year accelerant. So now that we are in this post-COVID world, when it first broke, how did PwC react? How did your clients react? Was it, oh, this is only going to be temporary, don't worry? Or was it, let's get a plan in place? How did they react to it?
0: So at the start, it was very much in crisis mode. And it's how can we move our people out and work remotely safely from a human perspective, but also safely from a cybersecurity perspective. I worked with a lot of financial services companies that were really worried about cyber breaches. They're really worried about remote work productivity or compliance issues if you're trading from Connecticut or if you're trading from London from your flat. So those issues were, were, were not the biggest We all thought that we'd be back in the office by now. We didn't think that this thing would last this long. We thought we'd get through the summer and things would improve. So that was the original focus. Now, thank goodness we have a vaccine. Congratulations for England being the first place to actually administer that. We're hoping to get ours next week. But the clients are now thinking about the second half of 2021 in a very different way to the first half. The first half is going to be messy. It's going to be hybrid workplace, maybe some people going back. How do we take care of our essential workers for those industries that can't work from home, which is a significant amount of the U.S. workforce? It's around 78 percent based on October jobs reports. But how do we administer the vaccine, address what we need to in the first half? And the second half of 2021 hopefully looks better maybe we'll get campus recruits coming back to work in the office because young people are really struggling to learn those skills that we all learned in our first job. Uh, Maybe our kids will go back to school full-time instead of hybrid schooling. So I think maybe we'll start to travel for business and and leisure in a different way. And so I think Our clients are thinking about 2021 in football analogy. There's the first half that's going to be bleak and the second half that's going to be stronger.
1: You said a couple of things there that I was interested to delve into further. First of all, my daughter, when she was doing hybrid schooling, actually preferred it. She actually got herself into a different way of learning and she was enjoying it more. And it was less lectured based. She was getting YouTube videos. Clearly, we'll never go back to the old normal.
0: So absolutely, it's not going to be five days a week for every single person, for every single, every single task. And there's also no one size fits all. I have have as many clients saying, we want to be back in the office probably two to three days a week, but maybe we want our traders, if we're a bank in the office five days a week because of compliance risk, and it's easier that way. But I also have other clients who are saying, we're going to be remote for the foreseeable future. Our offices are going to be collaboration hubs where people get together safely and gather. Some have talked about getting together monthly and making it very experiential and safe and maybe overnight stays. But the majority of the synchronous work gets done from your location, whether that's your house, your flat, we work location, if you live in the suburbs, the satellite office. So I think there's, just going, to be, there's going to be different models. And obviously, as we talked about earlier, if you're in manufacturing, if you're in agriculture, if you're in processing or or energy, you've got to be in the physical workplace. And there it's all about, can we provide quality jobs? Can we provide safety for our core essential workers that are driving the backbone of many of our economies?
1: In many ways, what you're describing is a two-step world in which the educated and wealthy are going to get the benefit of the opportunity to work from home, because they can, because the skills they deliver. But for the, that 70% that you described, they're not going to get that opportunity ever. COVID I've always described as the great accelerator, but also the great divider. The, the wealthier are getting wealthy because they've got more assets to go and purchase distressed assets, and the poor have to struggle through it. So it'll be an interesting observation in a year's time to see whether people who've had to go back into the office or forced to go to the warehouse or the workplace, how they feel compared to those people who have the luxury of choosing not to. Do you think in terms of PwC, you'll reduce your commercial footprint in terms of office space and just have hubs, or will you maintain the current footprint?
0: I'd say we're keeping our optionality open so in large urban centres we'll still have a presence. Will it be as large as it is? Probably not. Are we going to embrace much more... Remote and mobile working, absolutely. Even though we were a pretty mobile remote workforce, we typically will work on our client sites. I don't think we have to go back to our client sites five days a week. So I'd say yes, but it's not going to be either extreme. It's not going to be five days and it's not going to be fully remote. And maybe just to pick up your point around the winners and losers, I think that's the biggest challenge for governments and countries and business leaders. And at a very local level, people in communities, whether that's New York City or wherever it may be, Mm -hmm. that messy transition from those industries that cannot operate, you cannot operate an airline in the same way as you do now. You cannot operate a country that thrives on tourism in the same way. There's There's a significant cost in terms of sanitation, pricing, getting consumers comfortable And so creating those jobs and opportunities for people in those sectors, like you said, blue collar workers, giving them opportunities, whether it be in infrastructure, in healthcare, in government, in government roles, whatever your economy, whatever your country is going to drive, that's the next challenge for governments around the world. And and interestingly, places like the G20 are looking at this and, and other global institutions like the World Economic Forum are looking at how do we create quality jobs? How do we make sure that Jobs aren't just to execute tasks. They're actually giving people skills for future employment. So we may work in warehouse and distribution today, but how do we build transferable skills so we could be an entrepreneur in the future or we could help with telemedicine in the future? And that messy transition, the reskilling across sectors, is the next challenge for us all, I think, and our children, given the fact you mentioned schools in in the years to come.
1: What worries me is with the vaccine, we will take the easy path and go back to what we know. I wonder what you think the things we've learned through COVID will retain.
0: So well-being and the focus on mental health and the fact that everyone can have good and bad days and everyone's struggling with something, whether you're the CEO or whether you're the janitor. And it could be you're worried about a a dependent relative. It could be about your kids. It could be about what's going on in the political environment. We just finished a very divisive election here in the U.S., So I think that's divided society, it's divided workforce, it's divided people in schools. We need to have the ability to be able to have conversations where people can have radically different views, like you and I have radical different views on football, but we can tolerate them and we can come together. The Mm -hmm. other pieces I think are around data and privacy, Sam, contact tracing apps. We never really talked about those before, whether it's at the consumer level or in the workplace. I'm actually in my office today because it's easier to work here and record this because of my my children. But at PwC, to be in our office, we all have to subscribe to a contact tracing app. It tracks us and so if anyone does become infected, we know through proximity data who needs to be notified and then you can either take a test or quarantine. So before COVID, this would have been seen as something very invasive and we don't want to share our movements and our privacy. I think now they are table stakes because if everyone signs up to some level of contact tracing and and sharing, then we're actually doing what's right for the community and we're keeping more people safe in the same way as wearing masks. The next time I get on a plane, I'm going to wear a mask even if it's not mandatory. I just think it's good. It it makes sense. And having lived in Asia for a year earlier this century, we saw people in Asia, I lived in Malaysia, wearing masks and we kind of thought it was strange. Yeah, they were the we smart did. ones,
1: obviously. Yes. I, I I don't know whether I will continue to wear a mask post this. I'm not sure. What I'm interested to find out is once the vaccine comes into place, what people's mentality will be. We were talking about a football analogy and we'll get to it. Football in this country at the moment is either an empty stadium or two thousand people in it. I was talking to friends of mine, when will we get back to full stadia? Will it be because the vaccine has arrived and everyone feels comfortable and there's a trust element? Or will we still have to wear masks even though there's a vaccine? Or will it be that the mentality of people, because after the 1920 crash, a lot of people never went back to their spending levels pre-1920. They'd learned a different mentality. And I wonder whether we will retain a mentality for distance? Will people shake hands? Will they hug as they used to before? I don't know what's going to happen. Any thoughts there from you?
0: I think from a business perspective, businesses are planning for all of the above. So there's as many companies that are planning for, I heard the term the other day, revenge travel. So when people are through this, they really want to go and take vacation and their propensity to spend is high and they're happy to do that. And you've got to make sure That you differentiate through safety and having a safe experience. There are some consumers that have a very different risk appetite and do not want to congregate with mass groups of people. They do not want to go to a theater or a football stadium, but how do you kind of market to them? Back to our football analogy, there'll be some people that never come back to football stadiums because they won't want to be in a crowded pub or a crowded stadium, And there are many people, as we've seen in the last two weekends, who cannot wait to get back into that environment. I'm in the middle. I can't wait to get back to the stadium, probably wearing a mask and probably being distant. But I think there's not going to be a one size fits all. It's based on different attitudes and different risk attitudes. We've even seen that in the US in the summer, where a number of young people were wanting to go on their spring breaks and wanting to go on their summer vacations. And I think we've seen that in parts of Europe too. So I'm not there's going to be a one size fits all in terms of attitudes around safety and kind of social behavior
1: i think as somebody who's a psychologist will be observing this with great interest in what happens to the the state of people's mentality and culturally as well will it differ between east and west but that'll be interesting now before we go on to talk about more of the future of the work let's go back a little bit to your past where were you born Where, where did you grow up
0: I was born in Finsbury Park, North London. Indian parents, first generation Indian, two sisters. And then we moved out like every good family. We moved out to the suburbs in Hertfordshire when we could afford to because the schools were free and they were better.
1: <laughs> and so, come on, what school did you go to? i have to name check it.
0: I went to goth school, very good state school. And it was in Hertfordshire. And then I went to a university um, called the University of Essex. Spent three great years there. My first job was in Nottingham for Boots on their graduate training scheme. Spent three years there and then joined PW because I really wanted to travel and consult and then had the opportunity and the good fortune to live in Europe and Asia and then eventually found my way to the US where I've been for the last 20 years. So
1: again, just taking a few steps back, North London, Is that why you got into being a Spurs fan? You could have chosen Arsenal. Was it a flip of the coin? Someone gave you a shirt for Christmas? What was it?
0: I think it was one of my friends in primary school was a Spurs fan. Him and his father took me to my first game in 1983. And it was a love affair ever since. And still to this day, I'm hopeful. As we record this, we're sitting top of the tree. So uh, let's hope that lasts.
1: Gold difference. And that's till Wednesday. It lasts. (laughs) It's Liverpool versus Spurs. And I'm a massive Liverpool fan, as everyone knows. It'll be interesting. Who was your first idol?
0: Mahatma Gandhi was one that we obviously grew up watching the film, understanding about him. My grandfather was a diplomat and he travelled to England for India and he travelled to England very often. And I got to ask him lots of questions about Indian history and politics and, and world figures and and that was that had a kind of r- real kind of focus area and again as you get older things change you you realize that gandhi's kind of got a different perspective if you talk to gandhi's children if you talk to other people in the country but as a child he was one that comes to mind
1: brilliant now having grown up in england you and i probably had very similar experiences of growing up in england I had to adapt to to the culture very quickly i was born in India, but I came over at six months old. But I was the only Indian kid of a school of a thousand white kids at Loughborough Grammar School. And Leicester was very close on the doorstep, which is a very Asian community. And the racism level was pretty high, but I got away with it because I played rugby and I was good at it. Oh, you may have heard this expression before. You're okay. You're like one of us. The most horrible expression you can pick. But... What was your childhood experience at school? Was it
0: similar, similar background, similar in terms of we moved to the suburbs. We were the only people, very few people um, of colour, black or brown in the school. So we had everything from casual racism. My parents grew up with racism in the workplace. It was normal. We've had bricks thrown through the windows. <laughs> I've been called a Paki like everyone else and I'm from India, not Pakistan. And so it's just interesting because looking at England today, and looking at my kids and your kids, they don't experience any of that stuff. They probably wouldn't believe any of that stuff. But it it shaped us and made us grateful for who we are, and passing kind of that heritage to the next generation. But it was tough times in those areas. But I think it's it's grounded all of us.
1: I I, I was more hopeful probably back in 2012 when you know the UK hosted the Olympics. Mo Farrell was winning, Jessica Innes-Hill was winning, Greg Rutherford was winning. It was this multicultural positivity around the country. And I have to say, sadly, I think with Brexit and with Nigel Farage and many of the policies that are being implemented, I think we're going certainly down populist routes and racism has risen its head people who wouldn't have said the word Paki or, or wouldn't have challenged a Polish person or are now emboldened to come out and use expressions again and, and use that horrible statement, which Trump also used, which is go back to your own country. I think that's the Britain that currently exists under Boris Johnson and the Brexit economy, unfortunately. You've had Trump for four years. How's that been? It caused a lot of racial divide as well in America.
0: So extremism is on the rise. So extremism in terms of the intolerant views, whether it's about based on race, whether it's based on sexual um, preference, whether it's other forms of identity, I think sexism is on the rise as well. I think there's been very explicit forms of gender bias that have been manifested themselves also through the the election and and other process. So I think it gives a rise for people to share their intolerant views. And the reason I say extremism is on the rise during the Black Lives Matter marches, the people that were most focused and vocal were white people that were outraged about this, and they took very public stands, and, and including leaders in industry. I heard Jamie Diamond speak at an open conference, and he basically said, it's people like me who are privileged and white and who run businesses that are coming together to say, we need to do something differently. Because we've talked about our experience as Indian people growing up in England, that is nothing in comparison to the black experience, the African-American experience growing up here in the States that some of my colleagues, some of my friends and my clients have had to grow, deal, deal with. So, yes, unfortunately, it, it's populism and it's the people who feel left behind and extremist views come to the top. But there's as many people that are extremists on the positive side. We've got to accentuate them and surround ourselves by them a little bit more as well.
1: Which brings us nicely onto the topic of DNI, which I, I guess you are front and center of as well. Do you believe in positive discrimination? Do you think that you have to have a quota, numbers into boardrooms and into senior management positions to make a difference? Or do you think the cream will rise to the top and nature should? Take over rather than nurturing that DNI change?
0: By any stretch, the data is telling us that we haven't made as much progress. So, whilst people have been talking about it since you and I entered the workplace, and people have definitely been talking about it in the last year, we haven't seen, whether it's gender, whether it's race, we haven't seen underrepresented minorities given opportunities. So, The more that we can create on-ramps, the more we can create job shadows, the more that we can actually tackle the structural issues, and this is a US kind of perspective now, the structural racism issues that mean we don't have enough access, equal access to education, early stage nutrition, the prison system, the legal system, they all impact people coming into the workplace. By the time you're 18 years old and looking for a job or 21, it's too late. So what we're doing as a firm is bringing together a bunch of other business leaders and nonprofits to tackle some of the systemic racism pieces. We couldn't even talk about systemic racism, Sam, a year ago. Now we can. And I'm really proud of what we're doing as a firm. And we're trying to bring the business community together to tackle these issues. And my hope is more and more people start doing what they can, whether it's in their village, in their company, in their country. My big bet also is... So young people are raised in a world that's much more, hopefully, colourblind, much more global, using technology for all the right things. And when our grandchildren are being raised, this thing just doesn't become an issue. And they just look back to times like this to say, these guys did the right thing to tackle this topic. And yes, it may have taken 25 years, but the next generation hopefully don't have to deal with some of these. There'll be different challenges, but it won't be a challenge based on the colour of your skin.
1: I think Kamala Harris being the first female black, I always like to say Indian rather than black because I just want to claim her for ourselves, but she is its certainly going to be a torchbearer and it'll be interesting to see how she gets on. I think everything that's gone through BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement at the time that's gone through, there was an initial wanting to understand why people were still angry about race. I think a lot of friends of mine still didn't understand why Winston Churchill was so despised back in India and in the Middle East and in Ireland. He was seen as the great saviour until the history was properly told about him. The same was true about many statues that were pulled down. Do you think it's now just gone? Do you think Black Lives Matter was just a blip? We've done our little bit. We've, We've been knee. We've made a few people onto the board. We've made a couple of changes to the thing. But reality is, It'll wash away and we'll get back to doing what we did. Do you think it'll stay or do you think it will disappear?
0: It's obviously really hard work to sustain it. It has to be sustained. My perspective is you sustain this through economic development. So I'm working with an institution that's looking at businesses in one of the states in the US and what they're looking to do to tackle systemic racism is they're saying, how do we drive economic development? How do we work with the banks to give better credit to minority owned businesses How do we help people who are making minimum wage with things like their childcare or with the digital divide and getting their kids broadband access so that they can actually do homeschooling? So the more that we can tackle it so that people can actually get opportunities to work, to run small businesses, to own businesses, to get better credit policies more suppliers into certain companies or minority business, then we can start to address it. Because I love the fact that you read Professor Galloway do as well. I agree with his point about capitalism is right, but it needs to be capitalism on a bed of empathy. And the more that we can rise up and give people opportunities to work, especially because of what you said before, the pandemics hit the lowest socioeconomic and the lowest socioeconomic in the US and more people of color and underrepresented minorities. My hope is we address it through that we still need to keep marching. We still need to keep tallying the numbers around gender and and diverse ethnicity representation. But if we hit it through economics and business creation, so that there's money in people's pockets and opportunity for the next generation, and they see the value of either college or vocational learning, or like you said, just asking good questions and having the best of hybrid learning and using technology when you can and, and other kinds of learning. I think that's the hope I have around it. And But it's a complex situation that needs business people and academics and educators and law enforcers and governments to come together.
1: Given what you just said, are you on the side of hopefulness or or the side of pessimism that COVID will have made a positive impact or a negative impact the way that we go forward? How do you see its impact?
0: I think looking back, COVID will impact pieces around how and where work gets done it will shine a light more on divisiveness in society and the disparity like you said the k-shaped recovery is really good for those on one side and really not on on the other it's hope followed by action so if every business leader every parent every person in their community does their bit whether it's putting their hand in their pocket, giving their time, calling out bad behavior, educating their children, giving internships to underprivileged people, whatever it may be. I think that gives me hope that hope combined by the actions that you can take as an individual or a company or a country is what I think can get us through this. Otherwise, the future's bleak for all of us.
1: Now, talking of hope, being a Spurs fan, because they, they are always hopeful, where do you, as a betting man, a gentleman's agreement bet, where do you think Spurs will end up this season then? Where do you feel? He'll definitely
0: that- win a trophy. I just don't know if that's going to be a minor trophy or a major trophy. If I was a betting man, I would say ho- hopeful for top four. Anything else would be a bonus, but I'm enjoying it while it last, even though football just feels strange in empty Very. stadiums.
1: Watching it on the back channel with a lot of my friends, the thing that's most annoying for us is VAR at the moment, which is, for those who don't know what VAR is, it's the video assistant referee, and it's just sport, the game. I love technology, and I was an advocate of bringing it in. I actually now want to take it out. They're trying to make a game that is complex and imperfect into a game that is perfect, and I think by trying to make it perfect, your elbow your little knee your fingernail was offside i think they've taken the joy when somebody scores a goal whether you play football or watch football that euphoria that instant is the thing that you go for and now i'm, I'm just watching friends we all sit there and go we'll just wait can't get excited we'll wait but the, the time that varden says yes it's a goal you're like oh okay it's lost it do you feel that when you watch yeah football?
0: I, I, I think it's the worst introduction of technology so as a consultant who helps companies go through change, the referee has abdicated his or her responsibility and not using technology effectively. So over-reliance on any technology, whether you're in business or football, is bad. And otherwise, we can have a robot refereeing this in, in the cloud somewhere. So it is it is strange. I think it it will figure itself out. It's just this change takes some time.
1: And last question. You talked about revenge travel in terms of revenge travel where are you and your family going to go first
0: because i have young children who love going to beach vacations and swimming in the sea uh, which they, we haven't done since we went to chile this time last year for the christmas holidays it would probably be somewhere maybe in the caribbean that would be safe maybe it's going to be next summer or july or august uh, before the schools reopen hopefully I, I do go to India every couple of years, so I hope to get back there. But obviously, come May, I'll be in the stadium watching us parade the, the football, the, the, the trophy, the Premier League trophy. They couldn't even say it there. That, again, that's more hope. That's more hope than anything else. I'm glad I got a smile out of you there.
1: <laughs> Until that point, I thought you were one of the most intelligent men on the planet. Until that <laughs> point. And then I thought, yeah, oh, no.
0: Being at the Champions League final in the stadium was very disappointing. One of the lowest football moments ever. So <laughs> I need that revenge moment at some point.
1: That was the only time Vars worked for Liverpool, I'll tell you that. Indeed. <laughs> Bushan, thank you so much for your time. Now, if people want to get hold of you, how can they do that? Or where can they find out more about you? What's the best
0: way? Thanks, Sam. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I'd say if you follow me on my Twitter handle, it's at Seti one We could send it in the listing as well, or just or Google my name.
1: Thank you so much. And look, good luck for 2021. I'm sure you're going to be extremely busy with helping companies get back to what they think is a better normal, maybe,
0: rather than a new normal. Thank you, and have a great Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. Don't forget to visit samtalks.technology to discover more great shows. See you next week, same time, same place.